We turn in sacred scripture to Exodus chapter 21. The text is verses 5 and 6 of Exodus chapter 21, but we read first the, the first 11 verses of this chapter. God has brought his people to Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 20, of course, is where God gives the people the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. And then with chapter 21, there are uh, more laws given. And it is rather striking that with all the laws given, these are some of the first laws that are given. We read Exodus 21, verses 1 through 11. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them, Moses. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife... And she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, he shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. If she please not her master, who hath betrothed her to himself, then shall he let her be redeemed. To sell her unto a strange nation, he shall have no power, seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her. And if he have betrothed her unto his son, he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters. If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. And if he do not these three unto her, Then shall she go out free without money. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verses 5 and 6. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the door post. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the idea of the Christian as a slave of Jesus Christ is a common idea that's found throughout the New Testament scriptures. For example, the Apostle Paul uses that language and applies it to himself on multiple occasions. In Romans 1 verse 1, for example, Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, 
called to be an apostle. Or literally, Paul, the slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. James and the apostle Peter use this very same language when they begin their letters. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. And Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19, Paul writes that he is a willing and a voluntary slave when it comes to evangelism. He says that he makes himself a slave to all including the roughest, most contemptible, loathsome pagan. He makes himself a slave for the sake of the spread of the gospel, that others might be gained to Christ. This idea of the Christian being a slave of Jesus Christ is an idea that Jesus himself makes reference to. In Luke 17, verse 10, for one example, Jesus says, So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable slaves. We have done that which was only our duty to do. This idea of the Christian as a slave is found throughout the New Testament. It also comes out in the passage from the Old Testament that we look at this evening. It doesn't come out directly, but it it comes out in a kind of Old Testament type and shadowy kind of way. In fact, this passage provides a wonderful picture of our relationship to Jesus Christ as his willing slaves and servants. On the occasion of confession of faith this evening, we have a wonderful opportunity to look at a passage like this one and apply it on the occasion of confession of faith. Because do you recognize, congregation, what our young brother just did this evening? when he made confession of faith. Boys and girls in church, do you know what just happened to Mr. Mason Schimmel this evening as he stood up with a clear, and with a clear, unhesitating voice said yes to the three questions that were asked him? This is what happened to Mr. Schimmel. Mr. Schimmel had his ear bored through with an awl. He put his ear this evening to the doorpost of the house of his master, Jesus Christ, and he said, I am Jesus' slave, and I want to be Jesus' willing slave for the rest of my life. That's how I want to live, and that's how I want to die, as the slave of Jesus. And figuratively speaking, Jesus drove an all through Mason Schimmel's ear. That's what we look at tonight in the preaching. We take as our theme, the ear bored with an awl. And we look at that theme under three points. First, we look at the idea. Second, we look at the reason why someone would do this. And third, we look at the result. In order to get an idea of a slave having his ear bored through with an awl, let me first say a few things about what slavery itself was like for God's people in Israel in the Old Testament. And first of all, let me emphasize that slavery for God's people in the Old Testament, in the nation of Israel, was not at all like how we as Americans might think of slavery today. 
Rather, slavery for the Israelites in the Old Testament was really much more like being a hired help. The, the word that we would use today, the better word, would perhaps be the word servant. God's people were not slaves as much as they were servants and hired help and apprentices and indentured laborers. Oftentimes, people became slaves because they were poor and they recognized that the best way to meet their needs while at the same time paying off their debts was to become someone's servant. And such slaves then would end up living in their master's home where they would work for their master in exchange for room and board and for an honest wage. And through that honest wage, they could pay off their debts. And while being a slave, paying off their debts, a person could also use the time to learn a trade, maybe, his master's trade, or perhaps he would use the time to grow up and mature and amend his lifestyle and get his feet back on the ground again so that he didn't fall into debt again. When we look at all the different laws that God made concerning slaves and concerning slavery, We need to see right away that God made all these laws in order to protect his people who became slaves, in order to protect their dignity and well-being. You see, God's people had lived as slaves in Egypt. Even right now, they had just come out of Egypt as slaves. And God wants to emphasize right away that he doesn't want his people living in Israel the same way that they were living in Egypt as slaves. So first of all, God gives many rules in order that the poor in the land might avoid ending up as slaves. They might be poor, but they might not end up as slaves. For example, you remember during the days of Ruth and Naomi, uh, landowners had to leave the corners of their fields unharvested. And that was done so that the poor might avoid becoming so poor that they would have to sell themselves into slavery. They were given food. And God also made other rules like that in order to keep people away from becoming slaves. And then God also made laws about slaves for those who became slaves in order to impress upon everyone that God cares very much for his people who became slaves. In fact, in many ways, being a slave owner, if we may speak that way, wasn't really a desirable thing because you had to take good care of your slaves. And there are a number of laws that show us how God cared for his people who entered into this position of slavery. First of all, as you can read from Exodus 21 verse 16, involuntary slavery was forbidden. We didn't read that, but in Exodus 21 verse 16, you have the law where kidnapping a person and then selling that person as a slave was forbidden. Human trafficking was forbidden, and a person who did that kind of thing was to be put to death. Second of all, as we read from Exodus 21, verse 2, you could only have a Hebrew slave for six years. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. So slavery for God's people was only a temporary circumstance. After six years of service, the slave would be released and all his debts would be forgiven him. You can read that from Leviticus 25. Third of all, when Hebrew slaves were set free in the seventh year, 
they were not to be sent away empty-handed. Instead, their masters were required to give them everything that they needed in order to make a new start in life. You can read that from Deuteronomy 15. Masters were to give their slaves such supplies as would give those slaves a good opportunity to begin a new life for themselves. Besides this, there were a variety of other laws that gave protection and safety to slaves. For example, runaway slaves who were trying to run away from the oppression of their master were not to be sent back to their master. Physical abuse for slaves was prohibited. You knock out your servant's tooth and your servant was to be let go, let free. All these laws to protect God's people who were slaves. In the Old Testament, the purpose of slavery was for the benefit of both the servant and the master. The servant could pay off his debts and reestablish himself, perhaps after a financial catastrophe or a family tragedy. And the master could get back some of the money that maybe he lost. Besides this, as I said, slavery was often a time when a man could learn a trade and he could improve his situation in life and maybe learn what responsibility was. Slavery was often a time when a young woman could be sold into slavery in order that she might improve her situation in life as well. Again, we think of slavery, but think of servanthood. That's a better way of thinking about it, servanthood. A poor man would sell his daughter to a rich man in the hope that his daughter might become a permanent member of that man's household. That poor man's daughter entered into a conditional form of servitude with the hope that eventually she might marry the master or that she might marry the master's son. What we need to emphasize is that God's laws for men servants and maid servants were laws that protected men and women from the abuse of their masters or from neglect and poverty. One more thing that shows how God cared for his slaves is the law that emphasized that after the six years of service, the slave returned to his former situation. We read that in the passage tonight. If the slave enters into servitude as a single man, then he leaves servitude as a single man. And if he entered servitude as a married man, then he would leave servitude as a married man. And if he came into servitude as a single man, and his master gave him a wife, and he had children with that wife, that wife and those children remained with the master. That might not make sense to us, but that makes sense if, on two accounts. First of all, if the wife and the children belong to the master to begin with, the wife at least, they were in a sense his possession, not his servants, and he had a right to keep them. They were his servants. Now the servant, there was a law given in scripture that the servant could go out and work and earn enough to redeem his wife And by his family's freedom, Leviticus 25, but until that man could establish himself on his own and take financial responsibility for his wife and children, that wife and those children remained under the protection and responsibility of the master. That's the point of this kind of a law. This was protection for the wife and those children. It doesn't mean that the wife and those children weren't the wife and children of the servant. But the point is, until that man could redeem his wife and children, 
his wife and children would be under the responsibility and the protection and safety of the master. That's the point. Now, there are many more things we could say here about the situation of Hebrew slaves. That's not the point of the sermon tonight. Our purpose is this now, to notice the particular provision that's given in the text. If after six years of service, a slave, a servant, found it so pleasant to work for his master that he didn't want to leave, if perhaps the servant knew that he was better off under his master rather than left to his own devices and left to his own freedom, and if he knew that his master was such a good and kind master, well, then that servant could choose to remain a servant of his master for life. And if the servant chose to do so, then you would have a special public ceremony take place that would establish this kind of permanent relationship. And that's what we have in the text this evening. So there was a special ceremony that would take place. About this special ceremony, there are a few things that we can point out. First, this ceremony would take place in public, in the presence of the judges, it says. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, in the presence of the rulers or the leaders of the community. And you can imagine, you can understand why. Some masters, wicked masters perhaps, who want to take advantage of their servants, would maybe force their servant to have their ear pierced privately, and then, because you can't change that, then they would say, well, the servant did this willingly, and now this servant is my servant for life. In order to prevent that kind of thing happening, where the master coerces the servant, forces the servant to be his servant for life, there had to be a public ceremony. And the slave had to declare without any hesitation, most emphatically, that he wanted to remain a slave for life. Before all these witnesses, I publicly and unashamedly choose to be this man's servant for life. That's the first thing about this ceremony. Second, this ceremony involved the boring of an ear with an awl. Now, the word bore means to pierce or to make a hole. You're putting a hole in a servant's ear. And an awl is the tool that you would use to make that hole. Think of an awl. An awl is kind of like a screwdriver with a point on the end of it. And so you're putting a hole. It must have been a rather large hole, I would figure, so that people could plainly see that this servant was a servant for life. You're putting a hole in the ear, I presume, in the ear lobe. And all of this was symbolic, because for a servant, the ear is the most important part of his body. After all, it is with his ear that he can hear and listen to the commands and instructions of his master. His ear belongs to his master, and the point then is his whole life belongs to his master. That's the second thing. Third... The slave would have his ear pierced against the doorpost of his master's house. You also read that in verse 6. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And not only did the doorpost serve as a place to drive the awl through the ear, but it also showed that the servant was now formally attached to the house of his master. The doorpost of the master was marked with blood, 
blood that was shed to establish this permanent relationship between the master and slave. So the point is, this slave, this servant, is now a permanent member of this house and this household. And then fourth, finally, notice that it's the master who is the one who pierces the servant's ear. It's not the judges who are doing this thing. It's not the servant himself who does this. But it's the master piercing his ear. And so you have there the idea that the master himself is willingly taking this servant on as his responsibility for life. So that the master is making a real commitment to be responsible for this servant and take care of him for life. This was an unbreakable covenant that was being established at this time. Now, congregation, we look at all of this, and I think we can see that this is a very striking picture of what happened to Mason this evening and what Mason did. In a public ceremony before God and these witnesses, Mason confessed without hesitation his faith in Jesus Christ and his servitude to Jesus Christ until death and forever. Mason made the promise that he will live according to the rules of his master, Jesus Christ. He will live under the headship of Jesus Christ. His ear belongs to Jesus. He will listen to Jesus and do what his master and Lord tells him to do. He is resolved to lead a new and godly life as he lives as a full member in the house of Jesus Christ, the church. And he does that, he's resolved to do that because for Mason... Happiness and true freedom is found not by belonging to himself, not by being left to his own devices, but by belonging to his faithful Savior, his Lord, Jesus Christ, and living accordingly. Mason made the promise that he will submit to the authority and the government of Jesus Christ as his master and owner. Mason publicly confessed before all men, he is bound to Jesus for life. This is Mason's reality. The master, Jesus Christ, has pierced a hole in the ear of Mason. But lest we look only at Mason, and lest we apply this only to ourselves, let us consider Jesus Christ. And let us see that this is what Jesus Christ himself has first done. As the servant of Jehovah. That's who our Savior is. You read the book of Isaiah, the second half. That's who your Savior is. He's the servant of Jehovah. And he is the one who as our head and representative first had his ear bored through with an awl. Jesus is the great servant of the Lord. The book of Isaiah, many other scriptures, Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. This is what we read concerning Jesus. Psalm 40 is a very messianic psalm. I come to do thy will, O Lord. It's written in the book. It's all about Jesus. And in verses 6 through 8, we read this. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Now notice that language. Mine ears hast thou opened. Now some commentators will even say that when the psalmist says there, mine ears hast thou opened, that it's actually talking about this practice of boring the ear with an awl. 
Now, personally, for myself, I think that that might be taking the language here a little further than what was originally intended, but the truth is still there. Jesus is the permanent, voluntary servant of Jehovah. His ear belongs unto God. In John 6, verse 38, Jesus says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He's the servant of the Lord. What does Jesus say to his own disciples? He says, I am among you as one that serveth. All his life long, that's what Jesus did. That's who Jesus was. And you look at his death on the cross. With his death on the cross, he was serving to fulfill all righteousness for his people. And he was serving to take away the sins of his people. And he did it all voluntarily. He did it as one who delighted in the law of his Lord. Remember what David says. The Lord said unto my Lord. Well, maybe that's beside the point. But Jesus also called God his Lord. His, he was the one serving the Lord. He called God his Lord. To the fullest extent, Jesus was the servant of his heavenly Father. And now for those of us who are in Christ and those who belong to Christ, that's the spirit of Christ that Christ now works within us. We've been looking at at it in the catechism. We are renewed by the Holy Spirit after the image of Christ. So that the law of the Lord is now our delight. And we delight to serve God. And we delight to serve Jesus Christ as our head and as our master. I think about it when we recite the Apostles' Creed. And in His only begotten Son. And in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. Our Lord, and and that should make us smile every time we say that. He is our Lord. And this is freedom for us. And therefore, joyfully and voluntarily, we take upon our lips the vows that we make at the time of confession of faith. Because you and I know very well that the reality is this. There is not one person here who is not a servant of something. Or someone. We are all servants. There's no getting around it. That's how God made us in Adam. And that's what we will be. And the question simply becomes this. Whose servant are you? Whom do you serve? Maybe it's money. Maybe maybe it's money. There are many who serve money today. They are enslaved to money. And if you serve money, money will become your slave master. Maybe it's pleasure. There are many who serve pleasure today. They are enslaved to pleasure in one kind or another. And if you serve pleasure, pleasure will become your slave master. Maybe it's yourself, your own sinful nature. What what does Paul write in Romans chapter 6? He says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. What that means is, don't you know that to whoever you yield yourself as a servant and you listen to them and obey them, his servant you are. Whether of sin unto death, whether you listen to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience. Listen to the law of the Lord, God's will unto righteousness. Whomever you yield to, that's the one you are serving. Whether you yield to sin or whether you yield to obedience. 
And Mason has said this evening that he will gladly have his ear bored and be the faithful servant of Jesus Christ. And I might add, why? How does this come about? Is it because Mason has made himself the servant of Jesus Christ of his own free will? That's not the idea. But the idea is this. It's because Mason has already been made the servant of Jesus. And he has tasted and seen, not just for six years, but he's, he's tasted and seen throughout his life that Jesus is a good and glorious master to serve. And when a person experiences the rule of Jesus Christ, that person also willingly says, this is living. Jesus is the one I want to serve. He is the one I want to spend my life under. It's in his home, not my own home. It's in his home that I want to live. You see, Mason has been drawn by the love of his master. And that really leads us to the second point of the sermon, the reason. We can ask ourselves, why would someone do this? This is an astonishing thing. What would move a Hebrew man to do such a thing as to voluntarily give up his freedom for the rest of his life and be the servant of someone else for the rest of his life? What reason would he have for doing such a thing, committing himself entirely to this person? Well, the passage, verse 5, mentions just one reason, ultimately, just one reason, Love. Love. And and notice what is mentioned first in verse 5. Not first love for his wife and his children, but in fact, love first for his master. And then, yes, indeed, if he had a wife given to him and he had children, then also love for his wife and his children. But what a master. That master must have been for the servant to give up the rest of his life to serve his master. And you think about that. A servant could have gone out on his own. He could have established himself in the community, saved money, redeemed his wife and his children from the master. But for a servant to give up that opportunity in order to devote his life entirely for his master. Maybe he didn't even have a wife and a children. But for a servant to give up his life for his master, that would have been a clear witness to everyone around him as to what kind of a master he had. This was not just a generous master. He's not just a kind master. But in a word, he's a loving master. You could say a a perfect master. And thus it would have been only natural for his servant to love him in return. Experiencing the love of his master. Rather than look for freedom elsewhere, the servant found it in his master's home. That's how it was for Jesus too. Jesus loved God. Never man loved God as Jesus did. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved God even unto death. And then, yes, Jesus also loved his spouse. He loved his wife, the church. Oh, there was little in her to love, but he thought much of her. And for her sake also, he lived a servant's life all his life long. And then we might say Jesus also loved all her children, all the members of the church. Jesus loved, and he became a voluntary servant for life, for their sakes. And now that's not just true for Jesus, it's true for us as well. What is the reason we stand up in front of church and make confession of faith? What is the reason we serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart, all our soul, mind, and strength? What is the reason we live the way that we do and we listen to His every word and we obey Him at once without complaint 
without delay, without excuse. And we run to do his commandments. At least that's what we're striving for, isn't it? It's because we love him. And we're drawn to him by his own irresistible love for us. He is our generous master. He is our kind master. And he is our loving master. In a word, he is our perfect master. And we can also see how he served for us. Having his blessed body nailed to the cross. Fixing thereon the handwriting of our sins. Having him suffer the unspeakable agonies and torments of hell, sparing us from an eternity of hellish agony, forsaken of God, that we might never be forsaken of Him, lying in the cold grave, suffering that humiliation all for our sakes. He served for us until He was able to cry out, It is finished! So that our complete redemption was fully secured. So that salvation and life eternal is given simply as a free gift. Nothing more to do. But enjoy it and live in thankfulness and serve Him in joy. Shall not we then say, I will serve Him until I can say, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. As the Apostle Paul said, I am the servant of the Lord. In him I find my perfect freedom. In him alone my hope is found. He is my all in all. In him I find that perfect righteousness through which I can appear before God and be accepted of God. In him I also find deliverance from the power and pollution of sin. In serving Christ I find my true purpose in my life. I find freedom from myself. As the bondservant of Jesus Christ I know that I have one who's going to take care of my every need. Maybe we don't always live that way, don't we? Because we have weak faith and we struggle. He's going to take care of my every need. I'm not better off on my own, left to my own devices. I'm better off right here. I certainly am. All my bodily needs, all the needs of my soul, He knows them better than I do. And He will provide. I have hope for a future having Christ as my master. I have peace with God under Christ. I look forward to the day also when I will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Well, I'm already living in the joy of my Lord. What's that going to be like? Entering into the joy of my Lord. I have strength for each day. Whatever calling he gives me, he gives the grace needed. He leads away whatever temptation. He provides a way of escape. He will take care of me. He will lead me in the way that I need to go. Oh, if only I, as the servant of the Lord, had the perfect faith to submit to Him and trust Him and follow Him. But knowing all these things as I do, I gladly give my ear to the doorpost and I say, Jesus Christ, I would have it publicly declared before all men that I am a Christian. I will serve Jesus all my days. Should my blood ever be shed, it will be shed for Him. And because I am His devoted servant, to Him will I listen with attentive ear, and His commandments will be my joy. May it be seen in all my actions, all my words, and all my attitudes and gestures that I serve Jesus Christ alone. Oh, I will be the servant of something. Then, Lord Jesus, let me be Thy servant and Thy servant alone all my days. 
How does David put it? He puts it like this. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. That's what Mason said this evening from his heart. I think most of us know the hymn, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing Thy grace. I think some of the students at Hope Christian School have been learning that song because I, I hear my own kids belting it at home. Do you know how that third stanza goes? It goes like this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Like a fetter, like a chain, like shackles. That's what I want. I want to be enshackled to Jesus Christ so that I'm never away from him, so that I have my ear pierced and I'm his servant forever. Isn't that exactly what the servant was saying when he said, drive that all through my ear? And then the stanza keeps going like this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's what the servant is doing in the text. Take it. Let it be thine. I don't want it as my own. Let it be thine. How did we already sing it this afternoon? I am thy servant, Lord. Oh yes, to be the perpetual servant of Jesus Christ means I must give up myself. To be the servant of Jesus means paying my vows. It means always doing his will. And being the servant of Jesus Christ will have its trials. But what did Peter himself say? Lord, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. How shall we leave the Master? He's my Lord. Would we give him up? Give him up for what? It's either serve Christ or serve the devil and serve the world and serve my sinful flesh. Woe to me if I should leave Jesus my Master. Leave him? Leave him when? Leave him when I'm young and I think I'm strong. No, it's when I'm young that I need his wisdom and I need his presence to guide me. Leave him when I'm middle-aged. No, it's when I'm middle-aged that I need him to help so that I can bear this cross lest I sink under the daily weight of my calling. Leave him when I'm old. It's when we're old that we need him to cheer us up in our declining hours. Leave him in life? How could we live without him? Leave him in death? How could we die without him? No, we must cling to him. We must follow him. Leave this station to which he has called me? These duties that he's given me in his perfect wisdom and love for me? Oh no, then I say again, I am thy servant, Lord. My trust is in thy word. Mercy to me afford, I cry to thee. We shall be his disciples. We shall be his servants forever. He's the one I love. And I only ask for the grace and the strength to listen to his commandments and obey them as a faithful servant ought to. 
May my ear belong to Jesus. He is the one I love. And his family, his household, the church, I love them too. This is my family. These are my friends. This is where I belong. Not anywhere else in the world, but among the family of Jesus Christ. And his truth, I love. I'm jealous for his truth and his glory. I love him. As for me, there never was a worse servant. But never servant had a better master than I had in Jesus Christ. Therefore, bore my ear with the all, that I might forever be known, even as I walk day by day, everyone might see that I am the servant of Christ forever. So what's the reason for this ceremony of boring the all with an ear? The reason is love. And what shall the result be? What shall the result be, having the ear bored with an awl? Well, the result is, first of all, a calling. Having our ear bored with an awl means that we will serve Jesus and serve him alone. He's my master. Therefore, I submit to him and him alone. That's true for Mason. Mason, be separate from sin. Do not live as the servant of sin. You're not the servant of sin. Don't live that way. You're the servant of Christ. Do not join hand in hand with those who are the enemies of your master. Keep yourself separate. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. I think another psalm puts it this way. As handmaidens are watching their mistress, what their mistress wants from them, so you live that way as the manservant of Jesus Christ. What does my master want? I'm watching with open eyes, attentive to his will. Watch him where he beckons you to go. That's true for all of us. Have an ear for his truth. Be in his word. Never compromise his word. Listen without hesitation to what he tells you to do. And do so without delay, without excuse, without complaint. Live for Jesus Christ, your master, and live for him alone. That's the first thing. That, that's the result. We have a calling. Now, that's very true, but the second thing, and, and I would even emphasize this first... The result is this. Having your ear bored with it all, the result is this. You always know where your identity is. You always know that your identity is hid with Jesus Christ. When a man was bored with it all and made a slave, he became forever the responsibility and care and concern of his master. You see, this was not just the servant doing something. This was the master doing something. As I said already, this was the master committing himself to his servant to treat him right and to care for him the rest of his days. And what blessed joy and peace that servant must have experienced as he witnessed the love of his master for him. As the master willingly bore his ear to the doorpost and declared, that that man would forever dwell in his own house and be taken care of. What comfort, what assurance for that servant to know that he was never on his own, but always cared for. Mason, that's the joy and assurance you have as the servant of your Lord Jesus Christ. Your life is hid with Christ. You are altogether his, Mason. Body and soul, both in life and death, this is your identity. You belong to Christ. He's fully paid for all your sins, delivered you from all of the power of the devil. He so preserves you that without the will of his heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from your head. 
And then by his unspeakable, unspeakable grace, he freely gives you his Holy Spirit and makes you heartily willing, sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him as his servant. This is your identity. This is your reality. And we all know this is not because of anything in us or our choice, but it's because Jesus Christ has set his love upon us and has made us such, and we are drawn to him. Isn't that what we read this morning as well? Jeremiah 31, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. And this is still our joy and our experience. We know his love and we love him. What did Jesus himself say? He said, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall I also confess before my Father in heaven. And then we praise the Lord for giving us that confession to confess him at the time of confession of faith. And what's the result? Ending with this, what's the result? We all know Psalm 23 very well. That last verse is the result, that we know it and experience it. I'm the servant of the Lord. He's my shepherd. He's my master. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord, my master, forever. I'm the servant of Jesus forever. His goodness and mercy pursue me all my days. And you, I, we will dwell in his house forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for this confession that Thou hast worked in our hearts and brought through our lips. We thank Thee, Father, for this reality that we are Thine, Thy servants, and Thou and Thy Son, Jesus Christ, is our Lord. Lord, may we ever live in the light of that reality. And where life is difficult, where the way seems uncertain, where we are discouraged, and where we feel our need, may we remember, we are thy servant, Lord. Our trust is in thy word. Thy mercy thou wilt to us afford. May we always be crying unto thee. Bless this preaching to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.